Good morning. Pastor Kyle Thompson, I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are here with us in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. We're just honored to have you spend some time with us. And uh, I missed being with you all last week. My family and I took a few days away up in the mountains for vacation. One of my sons was on a fall break. And so we just had a really good time as family, uh, relaxing, catching up with each other and refreshing. And uh, just want to thank you for that opportunity to be away. And thank Pastor Nancy for kicking off this series in such an awesome way. She did a wonderful job and just uh, set the bar high, and so I'm excited to jump into this uh, today as well. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, this is based upon a book by Pastor Adam Hamilton called Half Truths, and uh, if you like what you hear today, that's going to be because of God and Pastor Adam's inspiration, and if something kind of stinks, you can blame that on me, and I'll own that, but uh, I'm super excited to be here and to jump in, so let's just begin with a word of silent prayer that uh, God would speak to us today. Uh, that I would allow God to flow through me and that we would hear from God and allow God to transform us. So let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So we're looking at things that the Bible doesn't say. Today's saying that's not in Scripture is this. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Maybe you've heard that said before. Maybe we've said it ourselves before. And usually when, when this phrase is used, I think it's meant in a positive way. When we see somebody do something that we don't like, and when we just say, you know what, I don't approve of their actions. I like the person, but I don't approve of what they're doing. I mean, sometimes I even hate what they're doing, but you know, I want to try and care for the person themselves. So love the sinner, hate the sin. And I think that's also kind of connected sometimes with another saying that, you know, all sin is the same. And I think what factors in is that, you know, I love the sinner, hate the sin because I'm a sinner myself. And I understand you make mistakes, I make mistakes. And so we all make mistakes. We're in this boat together. And so maybe it's a positive kind of meaning of saying, you know, I just don't like everything that people do, but I do want to care for people. And I hope they feel that way about me. And I think it is meant in a positive way, but a lot of times I think if, if we're the person who's being talked about or people are hating what we're doing, we're probably not feeling very loved by them. And so we're really going to wrestle with that today. And the reality is love the sinner, hate the sin is not in the Bible. It's not said in the Bible in that way, that manner and form at all. Jesus never said it. It's not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. And so uh, where did that phrase come from? Well, the, the earliest we can find any kind of recollection or writing about it is in the fourth, late 4th century, early 5th century uh, by St. Augustine, who was a Christian bishop who lived in North Africa, served God there. And his job, part of it included trying to inspire nuns to stay the course and to stay chaste and all those good sort of things. And in some of his writings to these nuns, he was saying uh, that it's okay they should strive to have a love of mankind uh, and a hatred of sin. So that's probably the earliest recorded history, uh, point in history that we have of love the sinner, hate the sin. Interestingly enough, in the late 1920s, in his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi, who was not a Christian, wrote something about loving the sinner uh, and hating the sin. But what he said was that when we approach it that way, that it's hard for us when we hate someone's sin 
not to do harm to them. So in essence, what he seemed to be writing in his autobiography is that it's pretty much impossible to love the sinner uh, and hate the sin without doing harm to the person that you're talking about. So that's kind of some of the history. So let's dive into to what it really looks like and why we say these things. But maybe the first place we could start is, what does it mean to sin? We might have heard that word, especially if we're in church or grew up in church or been around church people or watched a televangelist or read the Bible because the word sin is pretty prominent in Scripture. And so what does sin mean? Well, there's two words for sin in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew word, shatah, and the New Testament, the Greek word, harmatia. And both these words simply mean this, to miss the mark or to stray from the path. To miss the mark or to stray from the path. And so the mark or the path when it comes to the Bible and God is simply this, to do God's will. So if we don't do God's will at a point in our life, that's sin. We've missed the mark. We've strayed from the path. So that means that with our thoughts and our words and our actions, there's an opportunity for us to sin to stray from the path, to miss the mark, even though we're created in God's image, which is good. It means we have a lot of good things about us and in us, but we also have the freedom to choose. And so sometimes we can choose to do what God would not have us to do. Sometimes that's overt, and sometimes we choose to do, don't do things that we should be doing. Right? We should feed people who are hungry, but sometimes we choose not to do that, and so that would be a sin of omission. So in the Bible, we want to look at a couple of passages from the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles with you, your tablets or uh, your Bible apps on your phones, or if you want to look behind me on the screen, I'm going to read a couple passages from Paul uh, in the letter to the Romans. This first one from Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul says, all of us are not perfect. Sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we stray from the path. Again, we're created in God's image, which is awesome, but sometimes we use our freedom of choice to completely put a big stain on that image, and we, we go against God. And so we're all sinners at some level in our lives. Romans chapter 7, verse 19, Paul says it this way, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but sometimes I choose not to do that. And I choose to do the wrong thing. And so we probably can all identify with that. We know sometimes what we're supposed to do, but for whatever reason, we choose not to do that. So sin uh, is strained from the path, right? It's missing the mark. It's not doing God's will. And we're all guilty of that at some point in our lives. Sometimes it's a lot of times in a day, right? So we can understand what that is. Well, then I think a question would be, is all sin considered the same by God? Or are there different levels of sin? Because some sin seems to be insignificant and some sins seem to be huge. And so how do we weigh and measure sin? Well, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters believe that there are different levels of sin. They believe that there are sins called venial sins, which are kind of more, uh, your smaller, more insignificant sins. Like someone says something that you think is completely stupid and moronic and we roll our eyes. 
Right? That, that's probably an insignificant thing, but it's a disrespect to the person that we're, we're talking to or, or hearing from. Right? So that might be considered a venial sin. They're the, the mortal sins. These are like the heavy sins. It's like committing murder, you know, doing something really egregious. And so uh, the Roman Catholics have different levels of sin. And the reason that they do that is in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. Don't have time to dive into that right now, but that's where they see in Scripture that there are different levels of sin. Right? And they have like a top seven, right? They, they shorten the top 10 list to the top seven uh, sins, the seven deadly sins. Maybe you've heard of some of these. Lust and gluttony, right? Overconsumption of especially food. Greed, sloth, who I always thought was a character from the movie The Goonies, who I actually thought was a pretty cool guy. You remember that? You guys see that? Sloth, love, junk. Um, then there's wrath and envy and pride. So the seven deadly sins for our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, and of those seven deadly sins, they believe that pride is the worst sin, the first sin that ever happened, and from pride comes every other sin. So they kind of rank these sins. Um, so how are we supposed to deal with that? Because we're not Roman Catholic. We love our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. We believe they're full Christians, they're going to heaven, all that kind of stuff. They believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But we're Protestants. And specifically, we're United Methodists. And so we, we don't teach about venial sins and mortal sins. And so how do we view that? Well, I guess the best way that I can explain it, the way it makes sense to me, is this. I think there are different types of consequences for our sin when we stray from the path or we miss the mark. The first type of consequences are eternal consequences. They, they have an effect uh, or a ripple into eternity. Right? Whenever we do something that goes against God's will, that separates us from God. That puts a kind of a wedge between us and God. The Bible uses the word hell for separation. And usually when we sin, we also put a wedge between us and other people. And so we are in broken relationships with other people. We're in broken relationships with God. That has eternal consequences. We're not going to be able to spend eternity with God because God is perfect he is in heaven, which is a perfect place. And if we've done anything to get in the way of that, then, then that sin clings to us. And the consequences of guilt and shame cling to us. Also, death and hell, eternal separation cling to us. That's why God sent Jesus into the world to kind of wipe all that stuff out. Right? So Jesus came, he lived, he died on a cross, he rose from the dead to take upon himself our eternal consequences, right? Sin and guilt and shame and death and hell, right? This separation so that when we believe in Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want you to be the first thing, priority in my life. I'm tired of living this life of sin without you. And I'm tired of carrying around the baggage of guilt and shame. And I want to live life to the full now. And I want to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, Jesus, I'm sorry for that, man. I believe in you. Come in and, and live in me and forgive me, right? That's why Jesus came. And he, he makes that possible, right? For us to overcome the eternal consequences of sin. And any sin is an eternal consequence, right? Whether we're rolling our eyes or we're murdering someone, we are separated from God. We are not perfect. And so Jesus came. He came to save us and to deal with the consequences of eternal sin. And then there are the temporal consequences or, or the, the consequences that are lived out in our earthly lives of sin. And, 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 and there are different levels of those sins. Okay, so think about it this way. 
If I were to, to leave worship today, drive to Krispy Kreme uh, and eat 12 donuts, right? Just, just load up on a dozen donuts, right? Which is gluttony. It's overconsumption. And then I, I eat 12 donuts and I jump back in my car, right? Well, what sin have I committed? Right? I, I probably a huge sin against my body. Uh, and But driving in the car, you know, maybe I'll be on a sugar high and might want to need to try to have some effort to keep the, the speed limit at the right level, right? But, but you're probably not going to worry about driving in the same uh, road with me after eating 12 donuts. You might worry about my arteries clogging up and uh, me needing to get on the treadmill, right? But, but that's one level of gluttony. Well, what if I went into a bar and had 12 beers, and which is overconsumption and gluttony, and I got in my car to drive then. What could the consequences be? I could kill myself. I could kill an entire car or a family or hit a school bus or drive into the mall or, or whatever. It, it could be horrendous. And so the temporal consequences of gluttony, of overconsumption, are very different. Right? So not all sin is the same. It is when it comes to eternity, but it isn't when it comes to our everyday lives. And so that's just kind of a backdrop maybe for us to think about. Because if we're talking about sin, we need to understand what sin is and what that looks like in our lives. So let's jump into the phrase now. Love the sinner. And we'll start with that first part. And, and I think God wants us to love sinners. Right? Jesus loves sinners. That's why he came in, into the world to love sinners. And by the way, everyone's a sinner, right? So we should love everybody. And so loving the sinner, right? That's not necessarily such a, a bad deal. But here's the thing. Jesus never commanded love the sinner, love sinners. He, he didn't say that. What did, what did he say? He said, love your neighbor, right? Jesus had top two commands of the 613 commands in the Old Testament. The first is to love God with everything that we have. And then the second is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Right? He didn't say love God and love sinners. He said, love God and love your neighbor. Right? And who's our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone that we come into contact with. They could be our physical neighbor. They live next door to us. Uh, or it could be the, the people who live in Texas who were wiped out by hurricanes. And, you know, we brought all these flood buckets into the church and we shipped them there to Texas. We're trying to love our neighbors in Texas. It's like what we're going to do on Thursday. We're going to go to another church and partner with Charlotte One. And we're going to pack 15,000 meals to, to send to people that live in other countries. But they're our neighbors, too. And to love them doesn't mean a warm, fuzzy feeling for them. It means that we love them with our actions. It's the way that we treat people. Right? So Jesus didn't say love sinners, love the sinner. He said love your neighbor. Right? Love everybody. Treat them as God has treated you with your actions. Right? Because if I think Jesus is real intentional here because he wants us to see people as neighbors. He doesn't want us to see people as sinners. Because if, if we look at somebody as a sinner, and I love the sinner, then we begin to focus on everything that's wrong with them. In my life, you know, when I, when I see something that's wrong in someone else's life, uh, it usually is eclipsed by all the great things that, that are going for them and are happening in their lives. But if we begin to love the sinner, it's a negative viewpoint. And we begin to, to look for the, the, the negativity and the bad things and the wrong things and little digs that we could, we could shoot at them. And so we say, you know what? I love you even though you're a sinner, right? Which, which does what? That makes me feel great. You know, I'm such a great guy because I put up with you and all of your mess, right? 
pat me on the back, right? When we love the sinner, then it's easy for us to have our egos inflated and for us to be very self-righteous, right? I, I love you even though you're a bad person or you're doing bad things, but isn't that good of me to do that? I'm being a good Christian because I love uh, you despite the terrible things that you're doing, right? So it's the way that we look at someone and it really tempts us to become self-righteous. Jesus talks about this uh, in the Gospels. I want to read to you a really cool story that he told uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. So a Pharisee was the religious leader of Jesus' day, very well respected, looked up to. A lot of people you know, thought a lot of them. And tax collectors... Uh, had an even worse reputation than they have today, right? The tax collectors worked for the foreign government, Rome, who had taken over Israel. And so people, you know, they didn't like their own people working for the Romans, giving the Romans their money. But also the tax collectors were usually pretty crooked and they, they raised the taxes and they kept a lot for themselves and then they shipped the rest off to the Romans. So they were sticking it to the local person. So tax collectors were not popular, right? So you've got a religious leader who's revered. You've got a tax collector who's seen by everybody as being a sinner. And they both went up to the, the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's easy for us who follow God, who think that we're trying, and we're really trying to do the right thing and be on God's side. It's easy for us to look around and see what other people are doing wrong and call them out on it. And, and, and we do that usually forgetting that we have our own issues and our own problems because we're focusing so much on other people. And that seems, what, very hypocritical, just like this Pharisee that Jesus was writing about. You know what the number one reason people say that they don't go to church is? Hypocrites in the church. They say one thing and they do another. In this verse, uh, eighteen nine. This, this is why Jesus told this story. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, I'm better than you, I'm not a sinner like you, Jesus told this story. So it's a caution to those of us who follow God. Jesus continues this time in Matthew's Gospel, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So again, Jesus is encouraging us not to focus so much on other people and what's going wrong in their life, but focusing more on what's going on in our lives. And that's hard to do. It's a lot easier to focus on what other people are doing rather than look at what we're doing. In fact, you know, it's easy for us to hate the sin of another person because a lot of times what we hate about another person, we have that inside of us. And if we can hate it in them, in them we can pretend that it's not happening inside of us. 
A lot of times people who are really just going after somebody for something wrong that they're doing and they're just harping on it, odds are they're struggling with that issue in their own life and they're trying to deflect that by focusing it on in someone else's life. But even when we're focusing on someone else's sin that we don't do, right? Sometimes we can focus on that. Well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a rapist, right? We can hide our sins because we're focusing on the other sins of other people so that we don't have to deal with our own stuff, right? And so Jesus cautions against that, right? And I'm sure that most of you are like me. You're really cool. You carry tweezers around in your front pocket, right? And Jesus is like, why are we nitpicking, right? You know, like, Bernie, man, I see you sleeping over there, man. Cut that out, you know, right? I see you guys up there rolling your eyes when I'm preaching, right? I, I got to get that right. We're, we're nitpicking people's, people's sins right in their lives. And this is what really what we look like, right? Oh, man, I'm having a hard time seeing what you're doing because I've got this log in my own eye, right? That's what Jesus says, right? How are we supposed to figure out what people are doing when we are blind because of our own sin, our own straying from the path is, is staring us in the eye and we can't see anything until we deal with it. So what God's saying is, we're not supposed to be judgmental. We're not supposed to judge others. We're not supposed to convict other people because we're not God. And that's not our job. Our job is to take care of our own business, right? To look at the log that's stuck in our eye rather than using our tweezers to nitpick other people, right? Take care of our own business. Don't judge others. We got enough to deal with in our own lives. Thanks be to God that Jesus came for us too. Put my cool tweezers back in my pocket. All right. So what about hate the sin, right? Surely that's in the Bible, right? Hate the sin, right? I know God doesn't like sin. God doesn't want us to like sin, right? You know, here it is. Like Jesus hung out with sinners all the time. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with thieves. He hung out with people who were traitors to their government. He hung out with people who cheated on their taxes. He hung out with people who had impure thoughts. And do you know what Jesus did when he hung out with these people? He ate with them. He healed them. He forgave them. He called them to be his disciples. That's what Jesus did. I don't think I remember anywhere in the Bible where Jesus is one-on-one with somebody who's considered a sinner and said to them, I hate your sin. I hate your sin. When I read the scripture, what Jesus says is he talks a lot about forgiveness and why he came and how he's ready to forgive us. And he talks about grace and and all this kind of stuff. But when he does talk about hating sin, uh, it's usually with, guess who? The religious leaders, right? He rails on the Pharisees and he talks about how he hates some of their practices and how they're so hypocritical. And, and he's like, look, guys, you know, you've got to cut this out. Right? You need to be believers, but you don't need to be such jerks. Right. That would be my translation. Right. So he's working with the religious leaders of his day to be believers in Christ, but not to be jerks. And I think that that's true of us today. Right. When we rail on people and we become self-righteous and we attack people all over the place. Right. We reek of being a believer, but also being a jerk. Right, that we have it all together, that we haven't done anything wrong, our stuff doesn't stink, right? whatever you want to say, right? Jesus says, be a believer, don't be a jerk. Now, he does caution us. He does caution us against evil. He says this, again, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. But I don't think he means here 
hate what my other neighbor's doing, right? But hate evil in general. There's enough evil out there to hate and hate the evil that's trying to tempt us to do something wrong where we would stray from the path. Again, don't worry about what other people are doing. Worry about what evil's trying to do to us and hate that and resist it with the power of Jesus. So again, it comes back more to us than it does to people. Well, Pastor Kyle, does that just mean that we have to, you know, let everything go? That we, you know, we can't say that there's good and there's evil, there's right and there's wrong, that when we see things in society, we should just be quiet because it's not our place to judge and we should just let, you know, society go to hell in a handbasket, right? Should, shouldn't we say something when, when there are evil things in the world? Yeah, we absolutely are supposed to stand up to evil in the world. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, right? There's a lot of evil that has eternal consequences and temporal consequences that are horrible, right? Child abuse. We see a child being abused. We absolutely have to say, no more. We're stepping in. We're going to stop that, right? Sexual harassment, wherever we see it, especially in the workplace, right? Or in schools or the church or wherever, we got to stamp that out. That's just not right. It's not good behavior. We got to jump in there. There's a huge Hollywood scandal right now. Right, a huge Hollywood mogul. Thirty women have come forward to accuse him of sexual harassment and rape over the course of decades, saying that a lot of other A-lister Hollywood people knew about all this going on, and it's just coming out. And if it's all true, it's wrong. And they should do something about it. The, the, the government, the law should do something about it. We should be angry that there are children starving in the world when there's enough food in the world to feed everybody on the planet, right? That's why we're going to pack meals this Thursday. We should be upset that there's human trafficking going on in the world, that people, especially women and children, are bought and sold as slaves in the 21st century. We should be upset that there's racism in the 21st century, that we hate people because of their skin color or the language that they speak or the country that they come from or whether or not they're a legal or illegal citizen of our country, right? There's a lot of stuff that we can, we can fight against. But usually when we talk about love the sin or hate the sin, it's not about big stuff like that or, or stuff like that. It's more about our personal prejudices against people in our lives, I think it's used a lot of times to talk about homosexuality. A lot of times, right? Love the person, just I hate their lifestyle. And that's a big issue. It's dividing our world. It's dividing our church. Very divisive. And it's more than an issue. It's, it's people's lives that we're talking about. right? And, and so I think sometimes we use that phrase, love the sin or hate the sin, to talk about that. And I just want to step back and, and, and kind of view that from a couple of viewpoints and just really see how this would sound. It went up to somebody and said, you know what? I really hate that you're attracted emotionally and physically and sexually to someone who is the same sex as you and that you act on that. I hate that, but I love you. Or we go up to somebody and say, you know what? I hate that you act like an antiquated, ignorant bigot because you disagree that I do love someone of the same sex. I hate that. But I love you. Are those two ways that God would want us to speak to each other? Based upon what we feel about homosexuality? And that's an issue that, that our church, our United Methodist Church, is really wrestling with right, in a big way. Right? Our official stance on homosexuality is it's not compatible with the Bible. Homosexuals are, are not allowed to be ordained pastors and 
And pastors are not allowed to do gay marriages. We're supposed to welcome all people and, and people who are gay in, into our churches. And, and yet we, then we would say these things about them. And that's been the way it is since the United Methodist Church began. And every four years, the international body of the decision makers of our denomination, it's an electoral process. We send some from Western North Carolina. They get together. And every four years, there have been challenges to the way that we talk about homosexuality. And it's gotten to the point, you know, nothing has changed. And so we've created a special commission to study this called a way forward. Can we find a way forward together for people who are on both extremes of this and, and, and people who are in the middle of this? Can we move forward as a church, as a denomination without splitting? And they're supposed to come back and have a plan for us, for the, the international body to vote on in February of 2019. And however that body votes, I think they're going to be people who are going to leave our denomination. All right, and so we as a congregation, we need to begin to think about this and pray about this and, and be in dialogue about this because we have people on both sides and all the way in the middle. And so the question is, if they don't change the language, are a bunch of us going to leave? If they do change the language, are a bunch of us going to leave? Or can we find a way to live together to say, we're going to agree to disagree and we're going to love everybody who's here? Pastor Adam Hamilton, who wrote the book that uh, based this sermon series on, said that he had a gay uh, couple in his church who'd been attending his church for a long time. And uh, one Sunday they felt finally courage enough to hold hands in public in worship together. And they said immediately some woman wrote them a note and handed it to them. Right? So they said, Pastor Adam, we want you to read what this note said. And he's like, oh my goodness, what, what, what have they written to you? And he opened it up and it said, I'm just so glad that you're here and that you're part of our church and, and we love having you here and we're glad that you feel welcome here. And I wonder if we had an openly gay family in our congregation or, or more than one family in our congregation or people wearing rainbow shirts in our congregation, you know, just a big group here in the sanctuary, what kind of notes would we pass them? Or what if we had a big group of people in our church who are wearing shirts that say marriage is one man and one woman, and that's what the Bible says, and I'm not backing down. And What kind of a note would we write to them? There's a lot of stuff going on in our nation right now, and there's a lot of division. And, and I think in our own church, we have people on all sides of all issues and, and a lot of people somewhere in between. And, and how are we going to love each other? How are we going to deal with each other? What if we had a big group who came into church today and they're all wearing Black Lives Matter shirts and in talking with them out and getting coffee in the lobby, they're saying, yeah, we're going to go to the Panthers game and we're not standing up for the national anthem. What kind of letters will we write to them? And what if we had a same Sunday, a big group of people who are wearing shirts that say, I stand for the flag and I kneel at the cross. Right? What kind of notes are we going to write them? What if we came in and there was a big group of people here wearing red hats that say, Make America Great Again. I love Donald Trump. And we had another group sitting in the church that had blue on and said, Hillary was robbed and we're going to get her elected in 2020. Right? What kind of letters are we going to write to these people? Right? What are we going to write to each other? Because that's who we are. That's who our community is. What if we came in and we had a bunch of people wearing NRA, right? National Rifle Association shirts saying, guns keep us safe. We have more guns in citizens' hands and the less uh, things are going to happen like the shootings in Las Vegas. And, and we're against gun laws. And in fact, we're packing heat right now. Right? What kind of letters are we going to write to them? And, and the same token, we had people in here who are, who are wearing shirts that say, guns kill people, not people. Right? And, 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 and I'm for gun law legislation, right? What kind of letters? What kind of a church are we going to be? Are we going to welcome everybody? Are we going to say, we love you and we're glad that you're here? We're going to say, man, you're such a sinner and I hate what you stand for. I don't want you to even be here. 
kind of church are we going to be? And I'm not saying that we have to agree with each other. There's no way we're going to agree with each other. On all these issues, there's no way we're going to change anybody's mind. It's not going to happen, right? So can we agree to disagree? Can we love each other and find something else that we have in common? Can we come together and be in dialogue with each other without totally ripping each other and calling each other sinners and hating each other? Can we find a way forward? And I'll be honest, I've read some of your social media posts. And I'd be scared if you were to write some of the stuff you wrote on social media to people who are sitting in the seats here. And I'll be honest, if I were to write down what's in my heart about all these different issues, I would be ashamed before you and before God because I've got my own issues with the issues. But our country needs a better story. Our nation, America, needs a better story. And the church, we're supposed to be at the forefront of that. We're the body of Christ in the world. When people look to God, it's our job to show them Jesus. And I don't have the answers for you right now. But I do have a question. How do we treat people who think differently than we do? Do we see them as sinners and we hate what they're doing? Or do we see them like God sees them as a neighbor and we love them? Well, that's, a lot to, that's a lot to wrestle with, and I appreciate your patience. But I, I want to give you just a quick recap, maybe. Love the sinner, hate the sin is not in the Bible. We're all sinners. Not all sin is the same. It's not our job to judge or convict. We're not God. Take care of our own business, right? Deal with the, the logs in our eyes. Right? Adam Hamilton said, if you were to boil it down to one thing, this is what he says, to love our neighbors despite the fact that we're sinners, right? I love you even though that I'm messed up. I love you even though that I have issues. I love you that even though that I'm not perfect, right? That's a little bit better than love the sinner, hate the sin. But I want to boil it down to an even smaller take home, right? If you remember one thing from today, if you want to write down the, the one big idea, right? If you remember what, what's Pastor Kyle trying to say to us today? It's, it's not love the sinner, hate the sin. I think it's simply you scratch all those words away and you leave it with love. Love. God said love. Love God, love people. Love, period. Love, drop the mic, right? Love. Can I get an amen? Love. God just says, love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the kind of church I think God's calling us to be. Amen.